This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Genesis 128 tells us that after the Lord created Adam and Eve, he blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule. But what does that mandate really mean? It seems clear when you read the verse, but there are varying viewpoints even within evangelical circles. And now Dr. Cal Beisner, founder and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance on the Stewardship of Creation is out with a new book. And in it, he examines the views of the co-founder of the Evangelical Environmental Network on what it really means means to engage in environmental stewardship from a biblical perspective. The book is called Creation Stewardship, Evaluating Competing Views, and we're just delighted to have with us again Dr. Cal Beisner. Welcome, Dr. Beisner. How are you doing? Thanks, Janet. Doing, I hope that you are too, in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Yes, doing fine. It's easy to stay healthy when you never leave your house, so it's kind of a side benefit, but we're getting out of here a little bit in Texas. This is an interesting interaction that you're doing here with the ideas of Dr. Calvin DeWitt. He is a longtime professor of environmental science at the University of Wisconsin. He wrote a book called Song of a Scientist that you talk about. Why should Christians know about him and his ideas? Well, I think both because he has a lot of good things to say and because uh, we need to be cautious about some of the things that he says. Uh, Cal DeWitt, and he is, by the way, a, a personal friend. Uh, I wouldn't be able to say that we're close friends, but you know, we, we know each other and uh, we're friendly with each other. Uh, Cal was involved in, as you mentioned, the founding of the Evangelical Environmental Network. He was also a founder of the Osable Institute, which has, uh, what uh, what would you call them, satellite programs, I guess, at, uh, I think, probably close to 100 different evangelical colleges, uh, courses uh, in environmental stewardship, in ecology, that sort of thing, uh, taught by people who are associated with the Osabal Institute. And I think they do an awful lot of good work. I mean, if I, if I wanted to have a, um, uh, an ecological survey of, say, the eight acres of, of wooded land that I, that I own, uh, I would probably uh, be glad to have Cal DeWitt come out and do that and say, okay, you've got these species of flora and fauna uh, on your land, and here are the kinds of things you need to do to take good care of this. So that would be great. Um, at the same time, though, uh, there's, there are things in Cal's book uh, it's it's kind of funny, strange talking about a cow when I'm a cow. Yeah, too, but, <laughs> cow one uh, and cow two, right? <laughs> yeah, there are there are things in Doctor Dewitt's book, I suppose I should put it that way, where I I think that uh, he leans in some directions that are unhelpful, uh, and that really uh, sort of lead Christians into uh, embracing ideas that are contrary to Scripture, and and particularly I would say that that's what happens in his handling of Genesis 1.28 and how he compares it with Genesis 2.13. 1.28, of course, you cited, and 2.15 says that when God created Adam, he put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and guard it, right. uh, is, is I think the, probably the best translation there. 
Right. So there's a lot to get into here. When you break it down, and I want to get into some of the details on the differences between you and the different approaches that you have, but what are the fundamental differences between creation stewardship as the Cornwall Alliance would defend it and what the Evangelical Environmental Network says about it all? Well, uh, for one thing, I think the Evangelical Environmental Network tends to uh, to reduce the priority on human thriving that the scripture gives to us very, very clearly. I mean, uh, one really simple example of that would be when, when Jesus casts the demons out of the man uh, who was living in the tombs, right, mm-hmm. uh, around the tombs, mm-hmm. uh, the Gadarene demoniac, uh, he casts them into a herd of swine, which then, you know, trample down and, and fall over a cliff into the sea and drown. And it's very, very clear that Jesus considers the life of that one man far more important than the lives of those pigs. And uh, uh, yet many environmentalists would put human beings and other animals all on the same level. Now, we're all creatures, so in that sense, we're all on the same level. We're creatures. We're not the Creator. There is this divide between God the Creator and us as creatures. But... Within the category of creatures, there's something very, very different about human beings. We are created in the image of God, and we have a a sanctity to our lives that nothing else on earth has, which is why you can be penalized, according to biblical law, for stealing and killing your neighbor's cow or his donkey or something like that, but you can't be executed for it. Mm-hmm. But Scripture requires execution if you intentionally kill uh, another person without just cause. Uh, so um, I, I think what happens is that uh, the environmental movement as a whole has tended to exalt the rest of the creation at the expense of human beings. Yes. And uh, sadly, uh, uh, the Evangelical Environmental Network, partly because it, I think, misunderstands uh, Genesis one twenty eight and two fifteen uh, tends to kind of lean in that direction. Don't mistake me. I'm not saying that anybody with EEN would say, "Yeah, a pig is worth a human being." Right. No, no, no. Uh, but there is a, a, a difference in emphasis that I think is very important. Well, for sure. Now, I want to read Genesis 2.15. You had talked about the—you get into the book about how you see the translation making a difference in terms of the understanding Dr. DeWitt has about stewardship. So let me read this. This is actually the NASB. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Other Mm -hmm. versions say guard it like the ISV. The NIV says work it and take care of it. There are varying ways that the words are if you look at all the different translations. What does he get wrong, and what is the proper translation of that word there? Keep it, guard it. How do we know what the Bible is really saying? Yeah. Well, the Hebrew word in question there is the word avad. Uh, We would transliterate that as A-B-A-D. And uh, what Cal DeWitt wants to do is to translate that serve. So he wants to translate Genesis 2.15 as uh, as uh, God put Adam into the garden to work and serve it, to serve the garden. Uh, and so consequently, he kind of puts a priority on the rest of creation and turns Adam in the, into the servant of it. Wow. That, I think, is the exact opposite of the actual meaning of Genesis 128, which says that man is supposed, is supposed to subdue 
and rule yeah. all of uh, all of creation. And the problem is that uh, what what Dr. DeWitt does there is he he takes one translation out of a variety of different possibilities. Uh, the uh, Young's literal translation, which is the only one <laughs> that <laughs> offers serve, and he lands on that and says, there, that makes the point I'm trying to make. But the problem is that Young's literal translation uh, winds up with a lot of, of very badly mistaken uh, uh, what, choices of words to translate from Hebrew or Greek, because Young was, uh, I mean, it's embodied in the title of his translation, Young was extremely rigidly literal, and he didn't notice, he didn't adequately account for the fact that the same word can have very different meanings based on its context, hmm. based on the words surrounding it. And you can go to any standard Hebrew lexicon and look up avav, and it will tell you that that word uh, means serve only when its object, the direct object, uh, you know, the, the direct object of the man hit the ball is <laughs> the ball. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the direct object here of avav is the garden. Uh, avav means serve only when its direct object is personal. You serve a man, you serve a woman, you serve God, you might serve an angel, although they're supposed to serve us, right? right? right. Uh, but you don't serve a table, you don't serve a tree. You don't serve a pig or a dog or something like that. Those exactly. are not persons. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's get back to this discussion after this quick break. Dr. Cal Beisner with us from the Cornwall Alliance. We'll be coming back after this on Janet Meffer Today. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. COVID-19 is creating a surge in unplanned pregnancies as American children in place. Meanwhile, preborn crisis lines are flooded and we have quadrupled our patients seeking abortions. Your help is needed now more than ever as clinics had to cancel spring fundraisers. Would you consider sponsoring an ultrasound to introduce moms to their preborn babies? When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Preborn centers are the alternative to Planned Parenthood. And this May, through a challenge grant, Preborn is able to send $100,000 to clinics if this goal is reached. You can help. Call 855 
855-402-BABY now. One ultrasound is just $28, but this challenge will double your efforts. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. Once again, call 855-402-BABY or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Dr. Cal Beisner is with us, founder of the Cornwall Alliance on the Stewardship of Creation. He is out with a new book called Creation Stewardship, Evaluating Competing Views. And he takes to task some of the ideas of the co-founder of the Evangelical Environmental Network. His name is Dr. Cal DeWitt. I know it's dueling Cal's here, as you said before, <laughs> Dr. Beisner. But you were talking about the importance of Genesis 128 and Genesis 215 in this discussion and the translation that Dr. DeWitt has preferred to use in which it talks about man keeping it uh, in some translations, but he likes this Young's literal translation that says we serve it. Seems to me there's a major theological problem with that as well, because man is to serve God alone. We're not serving the creation. Isn't that a a really bad theological error if you take that to its literal level? Exactly. And essentially what this does is it turns upside down the relationship between human beings and the earth itself and all the other things living on the earth. Yeah. In Genesis 1.28, God, having created Adam and Eve in his own image, uh, blesses them and says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and everything that moves on the face of the, of the deep. This is man as ruler of the creation. Now, ruler under God, of course which is why I speak in terms of creation stewardship rather than creation, (laughs) what, uh, kingship or something like this. We're we're not to be that. Uh, But instead, uh, what Cal does, what Dr. DeWitt does with his preferred translation of Genesis 2.15 is he turns man into the servant of the rest of creation. But the actual verb there doesn't mean serve, unless its object, its direct object, as I said before the break, is, is personal. Otherwise, it means to keep, to guard, to preserve, okay, not to serve. Yeah. And that's just something that's pretty basic Hebrew. I mean, one can get that in any Hebrew lexicon. Well, now my question is, if you get that translation wrong and you actually believe the correct way to interpret Genesis 2.15 is to have man serving creation, what is the domino effect on the rest of his views by getting that particular verse wrong? Well, then you begin to prioritize the needs of ecosystems, the needs of particular uh, species and things like that over the needs of human beings. And then, for, for example, with that kind of thinking, you're going to say, well, let's see. If we can't preserve the snail darter population in the Sacramento River Delta in California, while such and such an amount of water is taken out of that delta for use in uh, agriculture in the, uh, the, the valley, the, uh, the central valley of California, uh, then we need to stop taking that water out in order, in order to preserve the snail darter, hmm. uh, darter. But the result then is higher food prices for everybody, and particularly for the poor, that can have very serious consequences in terms of under mal- uh, undernutrition and malnutrition. Uh, I'm not saying that we should just simply ignore the snail darter, but we have to give human beings priority. And 
that kind of gets flipped on its head right. with that kind of an approach. Right. Uh, the same kind of thing happens when we come to talking about uh, about climate change. And Dr. DeWitt is a firm believer that our extracting uh, coal, oil, and natural gas out of the earth to uh, to burn as fuels to create electricity to power our cars and trucks and the like uh, is is endangering the planet through uh, global warming through human made human induced global warming and so he thinks that in order to to preserve biodiversity and the like we should not do that hmm. well the problem there is uh, first of all uh, you know I, I think that the scientific case for CO2 driving dangerous high levels of warming is very, very weak. But the second problem there is that this completely ignores all of the benefits that come to human beings from our use of fossil fuels. Uh, affordable, reliable, uh, widely used uh, energy is absolutely indispensable yes. to lifting and keeping whole societies out of poverty. And poverty is a far greater risk to human beings than anything related to weather and climate. All right. So I think we need to make sure that we're putting people first uh, rather than putting other things ahead of people. Well, now my question would be in regard to Genesis 128, when God says to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule. Those are very very pointed words, subdue it and yeah, rule. How does, Dr., yeah. how does Dr. Yeah. DeWitt talk about that particular verse in terms of those words that I mean you can't really reduce that to serve it 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 really is a strange thing because uh, basically he just very very quickly jumps from 128 to 215 Uh, I don't think he really wants to deal with those terms very much I mean one of them actually uh, the the word to to subdue is is kabash and uh, in in Yiddish, <laughs> we we have you know put the kibosh on yes, something. That yes. just means squelch it. Yeah, right. right. So we actually uh, <laughs> we're we're familiar with that term even in our in our uh, our our you know own discourse in our society today. Those terms are very very forceful. Uh, they have to do with an army conquering a city. They have to do with uh, an attacker subduing somebody. Uh, these are very forceful terms. And what Cal does, he says, okay, so how we're supposed to subdue and rule is explained to us in Genesis 2.15. And what he's neglecting there is not only the different terms involved, cultivate and guard, as distinct from subdue and rule, but also, very, very importantly, the different places involved. What we're supposed to cultivate and guard is the garden a specific place in the earth where everything was already subdued, everything was already uh, you know, growing well, and Adam, just need, Adam and Eve, or Adam initially, mm-hmm. just needed to continue that, right? Right. What we're supposed to subdue and rule is the whole earth and all the things living in it. That means we're supposed to go to an area that is not already in submission to human, uh, human action and bring it in submission. Yes. Once it's in submission, then cultivate and guard it. Keep it that way. So it's two very, very different concepts with two very, very different objects in view, the garden versus the whole planet. 
That's right. That's and that's an important thing. And and you know, it it frustrates me sometimes because those who are on the climate change bandwagon, and I'm not necessarily putting the Evangelical Environmental Network in the extremist camp, but those who would say you don't care about climate change always try to paint you know, people who have the same viewpoint that you and I have as people who don't care about the environment. And you have stressed for years, this is very much a part of what the Cornwall Alliance does. Yes, we should be good stewards of the earth. So how would you emphasize stewardship in an appropriate biblical way? What would be the line that you would say that would be different from what Dr. DeWitt is saying? Well, uh, I would take really our understanding of subduing and ruling in Genesis 128 Uh, from what we learn earlier about God and what he's done, because this comes as a part of this passage where we're told that God makes us, uh, you know, God has made us in his image and given us uh, dominion. So what should that look like? Well, we get it from the earlier verses of Genesis 1. God makes everything out of nothing. Well, we can't do that, but the better we get out of making more with less— That is, the more efficiently we use resources with less and less waste, the better we reflect God. God brings uh, light out of darkness, that is, understanding, knowledge, truth, uh, out of of what uh, was in front of us here. So we learn things and we imitate God. God brings order out of chaos and greater order out of lesser order. He brings life out of non-life, and he brings great abundance and variety of life. We ought to be doing the same kinds of things. Now, there's one other thing that I think is really important to recognize, too, and, and I think that too many uh, environmentalists just don't understand this. That is that because a clean, healthful, beautiful environment is a costly good, wealth is actually a path to a clean, healthful, beautiful environment. That is, economic development serves environmental stewardship. And unfortunately, much of the environmental movement sees economic development as the enemy Hmm. of a clean, healthful, beautiful environment. The historical case is exactly the opposite. And it's easy enough to understand. If you go to a city and you want to find the dirtiest part of the city, do you go to the the poorer parts or the wealthier parts? Yeah. If you're looking for a really dirty country, do you go to a wealthy country or a poor country? That's obvious. Why? Mm-hmm. Not because poor people don't want cleanliness. It's because they, can, they don't have the adequate time and resources to have cleanliness while they're still meeting their basic needs. But when you're way beyond meeting your basic needs, you can afford to put money into cleaning the air, cleaning the water, uh, making sure that refuse is, is properly disposed of. And all these things take economic development And unfortunately, too many people in the environmental movement, including, unfortunately, uh, many in the Christian creation care movement, see the two, economic development and environmental stewardship, as antithetical to each other. That's a really great point, a really great point that people need to take to heart. And I know, Dr. Beisner, people can get creation stewardship evaluating competing views. Uh, Go to your website, cornwallalliance.org, and you're offering free copies, aren't you, for donors? We are. We are. Um, what we're doing is we're, we're offering to send a copy of this just as our thanks for a donation of any size, literally any size. All people need to do is go to cornwallalliance.org, click on the donate button, make a donation of any size, and then ask for creation stewardship and mention promo, promo code 
2005. Very good. Well, excellent. CornwallAlliance.org again is the website. Dr. Cal Beisner with us. Always good to talk to you, Dr. Beisner. Stay well. Thank you, Janet, and you too. Thank you so much. God bless you. And we'll be back after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's Janet. I have to say, having gone to an in-person church service, finally... On Sunday, it was a wonderful thing, and I missed it so much. We were so happy to go to church. I really didn't have any idea how much I missed it until I walked into the sanctuary, and yes, everybody was socially distancing. It was wonderful. It was great to have the people of God together in person, singing praises to Him, praying together, listening to a sermon without a live stream involved. It was phenomenal, and it just reinvigorated my desire to continue to back these churches and these pastors who are saying enough is enough with these shutdowns. Enough is enough. You might have heard about this lawsuit that went the wrong way in California. Governor Gavin Newsom, according to this federal judge, has the right to ban church assemblies in the interest of public health during the coronavirus outbreak. This was a church in Lodi, California, that had brought this lawsuit. Totally ridiculous decision. Now you have a wonderful pushback, and it's beginning to pop up across the country, not just in California, but this is very significant. As Fox News is reporting, it's this group of 3,000 churches, a network of 3,000 California churches. They represent 2.5 million members, and they plan to defy Governor Newsom by resuming in-person church services because pastors have insisted they've been left out of this process. California Church United pastors have now announced they will open on May 31st, which this year is the day of Pentecost, being marked as the day of Pentecost, instead of waiting until stage three. That's what these tyrants love to talk about. Oh, we'll let you open in phases, but we'll decide who's essential and who's not. Stage three is when gyms, movie theaters, and other venues open. I'm glad that they're doing this. I'm so glad that they're doing this. I think every church in America needs to do this. It is no harder to socially distance from other people and wear masks if you want to and wash your hands a lot with hand sanitizer in church than it is to do it at Walmart, folks, or TJ Maxx or Target or any of the other places where you're able to shop now. I know a lot of states don't have open access to retail stores. We do in Texas now on a limited basis. But if you can socially distance at Walmart, you can socially distance at church. This is getting out of control because it is being weaponized against the church. There's no reason, for example, in the state of Illinois that churches should be closed indefinitely, a.k.a. until further notice, because the super progressive J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, has decreed it from on high. Who do you think you are? I'm going to get to that in a moment. Uh, I want to play for you, though, some of this audio from a press conference that took place announcing the plans of these pastors, because I thought some of the comments here from Pastor Jim Franklin of Cornerstone Church Fresno were just fantastic. Listen to cut one. COVID-19 is real and something must be done. I understand that. But there is a saying that the cure must not be more deadly than the disease. 
As a pastor, I'm concerned about my city and about my flock. Now more than ever, the people of our city need our churches to be open. I'm grateful to the mayor and to the governor for taking steps to begin opening businesses in our community. There are employers and employees that are on the verge of losing everything if they do not begin to reopen the economy. But there is another victim of this virus that concerns me. It's our religious freedom. There should be no quarantine on religious freedom. The right to freely worship is ingrained in America's founding. As stated in the U.S. Constitution, it is a pillar of America's God-given rights. United States Attorney General William Barr has stated, government may not impose special restrictions on religious activities that do not also apply to similar non-religious activities. Attorney General Barr went on to say, even in times of emergency, federal law prohibits religious discrimination. All we as churches want is to be treated fairly. Why is it that Walmart can remain open for shoppers as long as they practice social distancing, but churches must go online? How is it constitutionally proper to say that liquor stores, marijuana dispensaries, big box stores, even arts and crafts outlets can remain open for business and have their parking lots full and hundreds of people gather under their roof under social distancing guidelines, but churches who can abide by the same guidelines cannot open their doors. Churches have the First Amendment, Walmart does not. The idea of government picking which set of people can protect themselves versus which cannot, in other words, shoppers can and churchgoers can't, is a new level of overreach. Very well said. And then he brings into the discussion the fact that the U.S. Department of Justice has already stood behind religious liberty for churches in Virginia. This is cut two. When the state of Virginia threatened a pastor with jail for allowing people to sit inside a church on Palm Sunday practicing social distancing, the United States Department of Justice stepped in and wrote a statement of interest and filed it on behalf of the church. The Department of Justice said, quote, permitting similar opportunities for in-person gatherings of more than 10 individuals, while at the same time prohibiting churches from gathering in groups of more than 10, even with social distancing measures and other precautions, has interfered with the church's free exercise of religion. The United States Department of Justice went on to say, quote, the Commonwealth of Virginia has offered no good reason for refusing to trust congregants who promise to use care and worship in the same way that they trust accountants, lawyers, or other workers to do the same. We agree with the Department of Justice's. Businesses have been put into categories, essential, non-essential, and now in this city, authorized. I believe the spiritual services of churches are absolutely essential to the health and the welfare of the people of our city. The indefinite nature of the restrictions on church meetings is a violation of the very principle that this country was founded upon. Our founding fathers did not intend to allow a single individual to establish law that permits the infringement upon the individual liberties recognized in the Constitution. The First Amendment to the United States Constitution prohibit government actors from enforcing any law that prohibits the free exercise of religion. Fundamental to the free exercise of religion is the right to gather and worship. Have you noticed in this fight back on behalf of our religious freedom to gather together and assemble together as believers to worship our God and praise and have fellowship like we want to, like we're commanded to by God, 
most of the time, it's just unknown pastors who are doing this or pastors that aren't widely known nationwide. They might be well-known in their communities or even in their states, but not necessarily across the entire country. I salute these men. I really salute these men because I am noticing this contrast with what we sometimes refer to as Big Eva, where you have the big names, the big leaders who are always getting the FaceTime on network news shows and things like that. Where are they? Where are most of these guys? They're not even talking about the fact that you have the government shutting down churches for an excessive period of time over and against the First Amendment. They don't even care. They might tip a hat to it, but basically they want to talk about immigration. They want to talk about the leftist agenda. They want to go back and talk about racism or what have you. When the church situation is on fire, where are these guys? And this is why I just trust the Lord so much, because in a situation like this, he doesn't need superstars, does he? He doesn't need the famous. He doesn't need the well-compensated. And I'm not saying there are no famous people who aren't on board with this. I'm just saying I love to see the men of God rise to the top when the church needs them. I'm just so encouraged to listen to this. One more cut. These guys sent a letter to Gavin Newsom outlining their complaints. Listen to cut three. We fully support reasonable measures to help flatten the curve. As pastors, we take our responsibility seriously. The interest in public safety, however, must be balanced, narrowly tailored to accommodate the opportunity for the public to exercise their religious freedom. We believe church services to be as essential as any grocery store or hardware store. We believe that the governor is attempting to act in the best interest of the state, but the restrictions have gone too far and for too long. Therefore, in order to restore the proper balance between public safety and individual liberties, Cornerstone Church will begin holding in-person church services beginning Sunday, May the 31st. All services will be held in compliance with CDC guidelines for social distancing as required by essential businesses. You go, Pastor Franklin, and all the rest of you California pastors who are willing to stand up for religious liberty because you know there are plenty of politicians who couldn't care less about it and will oppress us as long as they feel like it. Just look at Illinois. There's more to say. We'll come back right after this. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact for the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. This past week, a woman shared she feared being pregnant with so much going on in the world. The abortionist gave her an RU-46 pill to terminate her pregnancy. Our Preborn Center was there for her, however, reversed the abortion pill and saved her baby. Our crisis line is flooded with women with similar stories. Preborn centers are the alternative to Planned Parenthood. And this May, through a challenge grant, Preborn will be able to send 100 thousand dollars to clinics if this goal is reached and you can help call 855-402-BABY that's 855-402-2229 one ultrasound is just 28 dollars, but this challenge will double your efforts to donate just call 855-402-BABY that's 855-402-2229 all gifts are tax deductible that's 855-402-2229 or there's a pre-born banner to click at janetmefford.com Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. 
That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. I am very encouraged to see these California pastors rising up and saying, as of May 31st, Governor Newsom, we're going to be worshiping again in public. We don't care about your unconstitutional executive order. We're going to stand up for our religious liberty. And I hope thousands of more pastors will join them. There are beginning to be more and more churches who are saying enough is enough. We were good. We were voluntarily complying with these executive orders. And you guys are showing your hand more and more and more that really this is about making sure the church stays closed for a good long time for no good reason, certainly not a constitutional reason. So we're going to you. I think it's time. I do. I think every single church ought to do this. If you're in a state where you're not allowed to worship and it's kind of stretching out into July or August, folks, it's ridiculous. I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons why it's ridiculous. I was thinking to myself about the fact that it was in 2017, the state of California um, had, for example, said, we're not going to criminally penalize anybody for spreading the HIV virus to somebody without their knowledge. All right, fine, you shouldn't have criminal penalties for that. But I thought they were very concerned about making sure that if a virus spread, you weren't too heavy-handed. That's one point. But the other point is, this is a state that has physician-assisted suicide. Think about this for a moment. How much can you really care about human life if you pass a law for physician-assisted suicide? At some point in your life, get out of here. And we'll make it easier for you. And we'll make it legal for doctors to help you kill yourself. And at the same time, California is turning around and telling these churches, in the name of human life, you must keep your church doors closed. These are the same people who are are as pro-abortion as it gets. Slaughter the babies in the womb, but you better not have church. You might kill somebody. Look, we know the statistics on COVID-19. We know it's highly contagious. We know there's not yet a vaccine. But put that aside for a moment. Daniel Horowitz, for example, over at Conservative Review, has been tracking the numbers of COVID-19 deaths. And we have had way too many deaths. Obviously, we've not wanted, we're not wanting anybody to die from COVID-19. However, when you look at the statistics on how many people comprise that number of people who have died from COVID-19, it's nursing homes by and large. Not only do deaths in nursing homes now compose more than 50% of total deaths, and in some states as high as 80% of total deaths from the beginning of the entire epidemic, that percentage is sharply increasing in every state day by day. This means that nearly all the new deaths depending on the state, are occurring in nursing homes. In nursing homes. Now, we knew before this 
that by and large, the elderly are the most vulnerable. They are the ones who are most likely to die of this because they're aged and they have other problems. And people who have underlying health conditions also are at more risk than the average bear. Most people who are getting COVID-19 are recovering from it. I'm not saying it's a fun disease to have, but most people are recovering from it. You can't get around that. You can't treat this like the Black Plague in terms of the number of people who actually die who have it. Not to mention the fact that we don't know how many people have had it because of the asymptomatic nature of this disease. Some 50% of the people who have it don't even know they have it. Oh, we must have contact tracing. Oh, we can't go back to work until there's a vaccine. And the implication of saying that, as I've mentioned before with Pritzker in Illinois, how in the world can you give any teeth to we can't open again unless there's a vaccine, unless you also mandate the vaccine? And that's a whole nother can of worms. We're not to that point. Nobody's talking about mandating vaccines yet. You know these people would love to mandate a vaccine. And look at all the big leftists who make a lot of money if there's a vaccine. Like I said, that's another show. But think about that. Now, the other thing in California that really galls me, and I'm going to go back to the nursing home thing in just a moment because of Cuomo. But this is crazy. There was a story here online, KQED reported on the number of people who are now saying, I'm scared of COVID-19, and so I want to line things up so I can commit suicide. Great. That's just great, isn't it? They report on one situation where regular cancer patients and otherwise healthy people who are afraid of dying from COVID-19 want control over their lives. They quote this one nurse from Bay Area End of Life Options who says they don't want to be whisked into a system that's already overwhelmed and be ventilated and possibly be away from their family members. What system that's overwhelmed? What system is overwhelmed? They sent the ship back from New York. They closed down the Samaritan's Purse Field Hospital, and now they're going to impose taxes on Samaritan's Purse for having been there longer than 14 days. Where, where, where do we have the overflow? Name one hospital in America that's absolutely overflowing to the point of not being able to keep up. This was the entire scare tactic that was launched at us from the very beginning. It's not happening. Healthy callers are asking for advice about how to write into their advanced directives for medical care that they want to take life-ending medication if they become ill from the coronavirus to ensure a quick, peaceful death. Or you might never get it. Or if you get it, you're probably going to recover. Is the state of California stepping in? Now, DeWolf said, this, this nurse said, I have to tell them, no, you can't. You can't kill yourself. They don't realize there are specific steps you have to go through. Oh, that's what you want to tell people. Well, you, you, no, sorry, you're just ineligible to commit suicide if you get COVID-19. This is where the mindset is in the state of California with these leftists. Yeah, you know, it's too bad. It's really too bad that you're ineligible to take your own life because you're scared of COVID-19, not because you're dying of bone cancer or some actual disease. And California, we're supposed to believe that the leftists in California who run that state with an iron fist really care about life. That's really what's driving them. I don't know. Call me a little skeptical. I'm not so sure. Now, let's get to this Cuomo thing. Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York. You might remember that he was absolutely terrible on this nursing home thing. He was sending nursing home patients with COVID-19 back into nursing homes. Now we've got these skyrocketing numbers of elderly people in nursing homes dying. But there's a New York Post piece here by Michael Goodwin. Cuomo's nursing home reversal is too little too late for those now dead. 
He says nursing homes and rehab centers have tallied more than 5,000 coronavirus deaths, yet the governor accepts zero responsibility, despite his March 25th order forcing them to take infected patients from hospitals. Zero responsibility. Now he says they no longer have to do that, announcing on Sunday that a hospital cannot discharge a person who is COVID positive to a nursing home. Indeed, the initial order denied nursing homes the right even to ask if patients being sent by hospitals had tested positive for COVID-19. Now hospitals must do discharge tests and only those who are negative can be referred to nursing homes. One executive said it feels at least a month too late. The move comes amid growing calls for an independent investigation of the nursing home catastrophe, where the death count dwarves the total deaths in every other state except New Jersey. Still, Cuomo claims the reversal is not a reversal, nor is it a recognition of the fatal impact of the initial order. He said whatever we're doing has worked on the facts. Why do you care if grandma died? You guys are the ones always saying that Republican policies are about killing grandma. Then you actually put into place a policy where lots of grandmas die. But it's not your fault. Goodwin says he should try selling that view to Maria Portia. She lost her father to the coronavirus in a Long Island nursing home last month, soon after the state forced it to accept infected patients. She watched the governor and was left steaming. She said it's like a slap in the face for him because he's not taking responsibility for what happened to my father and so many others. Porteous is part of a Facebook group with nearly 250 members who lost loved ones in nursing homes, adding the stories are all almost the same. And Cuomo's still acting like he's not the one who did this order, like it's somebody else or it's the nursing home's fault. Well, that's how it is. You know, cause some terrible upheaval, do some horrendous wrong, and then just whistle, kick the curb, and keep going. That's how it goes. I mean, it's amazing. Here's another story in The Guardian. Residents of nursing homes have accounted for a staggering proportion of COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. Privately compiled data shows such deaths now account for more than half of all fatalities in 14 states. Only 33 states report nursing home-related deaths. So we don't even know the exact numbers. One doctor here from the Yale School of Public Health in Connecticut said, I was on a phone call last week where four or five patients came into our hospital just in one day from nursing homes. It's just a staggering number day to day. So what have these politicians done to protect the elderly. That's what we really should have been putting emphasis on is protecting the elderly and making sure that they are isolated and that they are not exposed unnecessarily to this virus. That's really where it all should have been focused. And instead, it's nationwide shutdowns. We don't know if we can open again in the next 18 months. It all depends. We have to have treatment. We have to have a vaccine. We have to make sure there's eradication of COVID-19, which is something Pritzker's now saying. Oh, okay. Is that, that's the limit then? You have to eradicate a virus from the face of the earth, and then he'll let you go and run your business. You know what, Illinoisans? You got to stand up for your rights or you're going to lose them. And that same holds true for every single state in this nation of ours. Pray for this country. we got to leave it there. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. We'll see you next time on Janet Meffer Today.